Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. If God is with us, who or what can be against us? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He completes all of this. The truth is you have a God-given mission and purpose. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young starts his message, No Guarantees in Life, and shares how you can enjoy a life of meaning and impact no matter what hardships you face. Stick around to hear that inspiring message. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, No Guarantees in Life. We're studying a book of sheer philosophy. Somebody would say, well, I came here to study the Bible, and you mean to tell me we're going to study a book that contains sheer philosophy? Absolutely. There's nothing more confusing than to have a lot of answers without any questions. The book of Ecclesiastes asks the questions the rest of the Bible answers. The book of Ecclesiastes, we need to remember, is the only book in the canon that pictures life without God. Solomon in his twilight years writes his autobiography, and we see how far he has declined from his early years as king of Israel. You remember he built the temple. You remember in a dream he asked God for wisdom. You remember how he started off with humility, a worshiper, someone who obeyed and sought to please the living God. But something happened to him. So he writes the end of life, this thing about philosophy. And he tells us the thesis of the book with two giant parentheses. Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse 2, he says about life, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. That's really a poor translation. It should say meaninglessness and meaninglessnesses. All is meaningless. When you see a singular attached to a plural, you have a superlative. In other words, Lord of Lords would say there's no Lord above this Lord. Servant of servants, you have no servant superior to this servant. Holy of holies, there's no place more holy than this place. And here we have meaninglessness and meaninglessnesses. In other words, 
Life is a void. Life is smoke. Life has no rhyme, no reasoning, has no significance, no value. And therefore, Solomon said, you don't have any purpose in your life. He says this in chapter 1, verse 2, and all the way to the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 8, he repeats the very same phrase. So there is a parenthesis saying, life doesn't make sense and you can't make sense of life. Well, I'm sure that made your day. But we perceive how Solomon developed this, and we understand that in this book of sheer philosophy, he forces us to answer the big questions of life that the rest of the Bible clearly answers. I want you to pretend with me for a minute that you got a call from your banker, say, last Thursday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, and you pick up the phone, and your banker says, I've got good news for you. Someone who loves you very much is going to deposit in your account eighty-six thousand four hundred pennies every day. Quick math, $846 a day, that's good. Quick math, about $315,000 a year, that's real good. And that's going to be deposited in my account every day? Yes. The banker says there's one catch to this. This person who loves you very much says you must spend all of that amount every day. Any that you do not spend goes back to the bank. It didn't take you long to figure out, I think I can spend $846 a day. I'll have no trouble doing that. Now, let's get serious. That was pretend. The truth is that someone who loves you and loves me very much deposits every day in our bank of time 86,400 seconds. Now, the interesting thing about this deposit of time in your life and in my life is that we can't accumulate it. We can't say, I'm not going to use this time today. I'm going to save it for another moment. Uh, time is like a coin. When you spend it, you can't recall it. You can't get it back. So how we use that gift that God gives us, who loves us very much, is exceedingly important. Time. By the way, what is time? You get a lot of squirrely definitions to that. A simple one, I think, it is a measurement of a period. That's time. Time is something that man has created. We create it with that great time piece that we find in the heavens, the planets, the sun, and the moon. We want to check the true and accurate time. We can look to that and see 
exactly what time it is. But when all the planets cease and the moon and the stars go away, there is no more time. And we move into timelessness. Some of us remember the gospel song. It has a little phrase in it, and time shall be no more. When we leave this planet and move into eternity, there's no more time. We move from the finite to the infinite. We move from, he- we move from this earth into the heavens. And therefore, we in this life are interested in time, and we want to maximize the time that we have on this earth. And we use this element, this word time, all the time. Do we have time to do that? It's time to go. Uh, Time and timing is very important. There's a time to buy stock. There's a time to sell stock. Not that I do either one. Years ago, I had a little bit of money, a couple thousand dollars, and I bought high and sold low. (laughs) I never again went to the Las Vegas that's called the market. So time is everything. When your company is in trouble, don't go to your boss and say, I need a raise. Poor timing. There's a time that we invest. There's a time that we use, and time involves timing. It means everything. Uh, We're sick, and we don't go to the doctor. If we'd gone, we got a diagnosis. We'd got in well, well a lot sooner. You see, time and timing And this whole section, whole section of Ecclesiastes is about time, this third chapter. We've already looked at the first chapter. If you missed that, Ecclesiastes starts off with great pessimism, and he says, everything repeats itself. Life is circular, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, Everything keeps repeating itself, and he used the illustration of water. And I call chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes um, the muddy old river chapter. Uh, I call it lift that barge, tote that bale, get a little drunk, and you land in, remember, jail. Heart gets weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living, but scared of dying. But what? Old Man River just keeps on flowing along. That's what Solomon tells us in chapter 1. Time just keeps on flowing along. People live, people die, people live, people die. But time keeps going on. And therefore, he says, you can't make rhyme or reason out of life. And in chapter 2, Solomon says, well, time and life is meaninglessness. It has no meaning. But, he says, I've tried everything. How many people who've ever lived could stand up and say, I've tried everything you can try to make sense out of life? Not many people have the capacity or the ability to do that. But Solomon did. And so we studied, as we looked at chapter 2, all the things he tried. He started off with pleasure. That's where we start. I'm going to engulf my life in pleasure, pleasure, therefore my life is going to be fun. It's going to make sense. It's going to be significant. And he exhausted pleasure. He said, now, 
That doesn't make sense. There's no meaning in pleasure. You get jaded in a hurry. You spend your whole life in Disneyland, I guarantee you it'll get boring. Though they advertise as the happiest place on the earth, I'd question that. But anyway, if you spend about six months there constantly, I bet you'd say, when am I going to get out of this trap? Is this Groundhog Day? I mean, I don't know. And, and so he starts and says, I tried pleasure. I find no meaning. Then he says, I tried projects. Remember, he started building things. Man, he built the temple. He built houses. He built all these high places, all these homes for all of his wives, all of his family. He, he built beautiful gardens, and, and he, he built stables. He brought in animals from around the world. I mean, he, he said, I'm going to build stuff, and I'll put my name on it, and therefore I'll be significant. Life will have meaning. He said, I tried all that building, all the horticulture, all the agriculture. He said, it didn't have any meaning. It didn't give, make my life worth living. Not, not, he said it was empty. Then he says, you know, I tried sexuality. And he married 700 women. And in case they were occupied, he brought in 300 concubines. So he exhausted himself in the sensual area, and he got jaded there. He said, that doesn't give life any meaning. Then he said, I'll just get a lot of money. Remember how he packed up money? One year, the Bible tells us, he took into his personal treasury, what was it, 2,300 tons of, of gold? Man, there's nobody on the planet that's had that kind of wealth and ever will. So he said, I tried possessions. He said, I did, that didn't give me any happiness. I, I found no meaning in that. And finally, he comes to the same conclusion he came to 35 different times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Life makes no sense. It is without meaning. It is without significance. It is without value. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we come to chapter 3. And here he begins with this interesting, interesting verse. Verse 1. He says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under the sun. He brings us back to time and timeliness. And then through verse 8, he gives us a philosophy of time, T-I-M-E. Now, understand something. Solomon is looking at this world from a flat land perspective. He's looking at this world only under the sun. He's looking at this world only this sense what you could see and feel and touch and understand. He's looking at a flat world. In his survey, he doesn't look above the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, live out your life under the sun with no sense of a transcendent God. And I'll tell you, you'll come up sooner or later according to capacity to the same conclusion that Solomon had, there's no meaning. There's no value. It doesn't last. You're just a pebble on the, sea, on the seashore of history. But then he gives us the verses that we all remember. And he has these 14 couplets of contrast. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to speak, a time to be silent. Boy, I wish I knew when to speak, when to be silent. 
How many times I've spoken, I said, boy, I shouldn't have said anything. How many times I didn't say anything, and I said, boy, I should have spoken up, you know. But there's all these seasons, and he takes us through these 14 different couplets. The first four, if you look at them, they deal with the body. The next four deal with the soul. The last six deal with the spirit. Listen to them. It's a philosophy of time. He said there's a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We're familiar with those word, words. They're the most, that's the most familiar passage in all of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's saying how important it is time and timing and even now Solomon begins to get some sense. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, he has made, he's talking about God now. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in their heart. Verse 12, he says, I know that there's nothing better for us to do than to rejoice. In verse 13, he says, it is a gift of God Verse 14, he says, fear him. That means to worship him. So now Solomon, who's been so pessimistic, sort of looks a little bit about God, and it's not a clear understanding of God. Somehow he had compromised everything. He had sort of a God that was a hybrid God, not Jehovah, not Yahweh, not Elohim. He had lost that. How did he lose it? I think all the women he married. Oh, yeah. Because see, they brought their pagan religions into the land. They built altars on top of all those hills. And Solomon, in order to keep them happy, would go up and worship them, all the gods and goddesses. And therefore, he gradually moved away from genuinely worshiping the true and living God. That's when somebody says, well, at least they worship Worship Allah, God. No, Allah is a million miles from the God we know in Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. And that's exactly what these gods are, even with Solomon. He just went away. He moved away, not consciously or rationally. When I was a freshman, University of Alabama, my first Sunday, I went to Sunday school and church as a freshman. Hmm. I'd done it all my life. That's what I did. The next Sunday, you know, I was tired, had a hard week, and I just went to church. Next Sunday, you know, I went to church, but I got there late, just in time for them singing the, the invitational hymn, Just As I Am. <laughs> next Sunday, I didn't go. Next Sunday, I didn't go. The third Sunday, I felt guilty, and I went just to church, and then I just quit going to church. That's where it happens, isn't it? Just sort of gradually, we, we move out, we move away, and that's what happened to Solomon. 
He picked up all these other gods and goddesses, began to worship, try to please all these wives to keep international relations intact. All of a sudden, he'd wandered away from the true and living God. But now he sees life is without meaning, but there is a little hope because a semblance of the true God just kind of reaches down for heaven. And he said, I want you to know, even though life's without meaning, boy, there's beauty in life. And I want you to know that life is a gift of God. And I want you to know we are to fear him, and that means we are to worship him. Remember, human beings are the only animals that worship God. I love my dog, Winston. But food, affection, and play, that's as far as he goes. He has no semblance of worship. He has no semblance of death. He just food, play affection, that's it. You see, we are distinctive as human beings. We're made in the image of God, and somehow Solomon had lost and blurred that image out, but he has little glimpses here of a life that has meaning until finally, and he shares all this with us. You can look at it. He talks about, I know, I know. You see it, verse 13, I know. Verse 14, I know. Verse uh, 10, he says, I have seen he says in uh, verse 16, I have seen. In 17, he says, I said to myself. 18, he said, I said to myself. 22, he says, I have seen. What's he doing? He is saying, here's all of the philosophy of time, a time for this, a time for that. And he says, that's the sovereignty of God. In other words, this is how God operates life in this world under the sun. But then he has little glimpses that God's a part of this. Everything's beautiful in its own way. And then that tremendous verse, God has plant, planted eternity in our hearts. Everybody here, whoever you are, God has planted eternity in your heart. And Solomon sees that until finally he comes to the end of the chapter and he asks a question and it's such an important question. He says, the last phrase, he said, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. Here's the question. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? In other words, after all is said and done and we leave this life, who knows what will happen after that? Big question, is it not, ladies and gentlemen? Big, big question. Zach Parrish, brought up in our church, tremendous teenager, parents sold out to Christ, finished school, went to college, got married, had two little girls, was a banker in Denver, Colorado. Didn't like banking. He felt he was called to make a difference in law enforcement. He went and trained and became a policeman on the staff of the police department there in Denver, Colorado. It was on December the 31st. I got a call early in the morning that broke my heart. Zach had been killed while investigating what was supposedly a domestic violence call with his, his team of policemen, but it was a setup. They were ambushed. 
The cold came in through tears that my tears were added to it that Zach had been killed. I talked to his mother and dad as they were driving up there. They were devastated. They had his funeral, which was put online all across America. You probably read it in the newspaper about it. It went online around the world. In that funeral, they gave a clear witness of what a tremendous Christian this young police officer was. What a dynamic life. And they explained how the gospel says to be absent from the body here is to be present with the Lord there. And it came through tears, a celebration and a presentation of the gospel. Present in that funeral service was an atheist who had a room above the little apartment where Zach had been killed. And he said, as an atheist, I went just sort of out of respect. And he said, but in that service, I understood, he said, for the first time that there is a God, that he loves us, that his son died so I may be forgiven and have new life. And he became a glorious born-again Christian in a memorial service for Zach. More than that, his mother, who is on my team, his mother and dad said they've received hundreds of all kinds, emails, correspondence from people all over America and all around the world that observed that funeral and said they understood what it means to really live for Jesus Christ. So they said, you know, this is their words. Jesus Christ gave his only son Everybody thought the devil had won, evil had conquered on the cross. But he took the cross and evil and turned it into the power for salvation for the world, but it cost him his only son. And they said, this has cost us our only son, Zach. And it was done absolutely by evil people with evil intentions. But he said, if that's what it takes for these dozens, hundreds to come to know Jesus Christ, I understand it. That's from his parents. Now, I want you to notice something. The 11th verse in this chapter talks about what has will be again. It says simply, God does not leave anything unfinished. If a life is shortened, there'll be a time in which that life will be fulfilled in heaven. Anything that's broken here, he will heal there. The garden even Eden will come back into existence. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, what is science? Science is simply memories of the past. Write that down. Science is memories of the past. You say, well, I don't understand that. Geology is simply a memory of the earth. Astronomy is simply a memory of the universe. History is simply a memory of the human race. Everything that ever has taken place is written down on heaven, on earth, in the mind and heart of God, and it will all be restored fully and completely in that day when God comes and revisits this earth in the second coming of Jesus Christ. God doesn't have any unfinished symphonies. He doesn't have anything that started and didn't seek 
it all the way into completion, he completes all of this. And I'll tell you, the brevity of Zach's life will be totally completed, and it'll all go. And the moral here is we use our platform because whatever happens, let's answer this question. Well, who knows, as Solomon, what's going to happen in all of this? I'm going to give you the answer that the apostle Paul gave and God gives us in the latter part of Romans chapter 8. And Romans 8 undoubtedly is one of the greatest books in all the Bible. Let me give you an answer to that. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is with us, who or what can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question he asked. Will tribulation? No. Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? peril or sword, just as written for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered, but all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Just before we end today's program, Dr. Young is in the studio to share more proven truth about God's gift of time. Dr. Young, no matter how old you are or what you're facing, none of us are promised tomorrow. So how does God want us to make the most of our time on earth? Where we're to work is though we're going to live forever and live as though we're going to die tomorrow. And that's a simple... Uh, statement. And I think that's how we ought to live our lives. Just live as if today is, you know, the end of your life. Live as if today is just the beginning of your life. Throw your watch, throw your calendar away and say, I'm going to make this day, this moment count. God honors that. God honors that. So don't worry about time. Don't worry about significance. You just seek his light, his leadership, and God will give your life relevancy in a way that maybe you've never experienced it before. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.